0: Welcome to Gold Digging with Stephen Webster, where we dig for nuggets of gold (laughs) from uh, friends, family, collaborators to Stephen Webster. And uh, today, it's um, so great to have one of my very, very close friends, uh, photographer Richard Young, as our guest. So we're going to dig from dig around your gold nuggets mm, I'll, I'll my nuggets, <laughs> <be light> <laughs> so good morning richard Oh, good morning Stephen. thank you <laughs> so um just before we start i want to i want to <clears throat> read um just a little paragraph because i think london everybody in london knows you as as a photographer of course but uh it's it's taking you to some interesting places so i just want to Just highlight a few of those things in your career. I mean, apart from this sort of celebrity, and and that never ends. But, um, you know, for example, you were the last person to photograph Keith Moon before he died. He was at a party with Paul and Linda McCartney. Correct. Quite a moment. Uh, You visited orphanages in Romania with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Uh, You photographed Sting's wedding. Yeah. You toured the country with the Sex Pistols. Yeah. I love that one. You've covered all of the big moments, the Oscars, the Cannes Film Festival, the BAFTAs, you name it, all these fashion awards. Um, You accompanied and documented United States troops in Iraq, and you also photographed Fidel Castro in Cuba. Wow.
1: Yeah, wow. Do you remember all those things? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. And they they were pretty much... uh, kind of like highlights of my career, especially meeting Fidel Castro, which was quite amusing really on the night because it was the end of the um, uh, cigar week in in, in in downtown Havana, which I went with um, a lovely man called Simon Chase, who was the managing director of Hunter and Frankow, who was the, the, one lead, the leading kind of cigar importers in the UK. I spent most of my days walking around downtown in old Havana and photographing the atmosphere of Havana, you know, old Havana itself. You know, the cars, the people, the music, the bars, um, but I didn't know any, anything what else to photograph. But I went to the actual festival site where they, they have all these stands all around from all the different companies, all the different makers of the different cigars. So by the time you finish finished, a, de- a particular day, because it goes from like Sunday till the following Saturday, you smoked about four to five cigars each day because different people were giving you cigars. I mean, there was one chap I was we smoked twenty two cigars. You did, or no, he no, did. he did, and it was. We were sitting outside the hotel where we were all all put up, the um, famous hotel in down in downtown Havana, and he looked green. His whole, his, whole, his whole complexion was green because he's been sm- smoking so many cigars. Was he inhaling? Pardon? Was he inhaling? Uh, he, I... he, he couldn't even walk. <laughs> he said, I smoked too many cigars. Keep me company because I think I'm going to throw up or something. I said, Do you smoke 22 of them in one day? I mean, yeah, you, go, yeah, you are. Because you've been tasting all the, other, all the cigars around all the different stands. Anyway. The week finished by having, having this big gala dinner on a Saturday night in the, muse, in the art museum in, in downtown. And, um, and I was there with the, on the English contingency table. And next table to me was completely um, empty. There was 500 people um, in, this, in this gallery having dinner. And we're into our kind of uh, main course. And I, said, I turned around to Simon Chase I said, whose table is this? He said, oh, that's Fidel Castro's table. Um, He might turn up and then he might not. You know, it depends on, and if he does, he might get up and talk for five minutes or five hours. So you gotta be a bit careful about what happens here. he said, but whatever you do, don't approach him or try and make conversation. First of all, he doesn't speak English, right? It's like putting a red rag to a ball. (laughs) So anyway, during the course of the main course, there's all this commotion by the. I could hear downstairs by the main door. And of course, Fidel Castro has arrived with his art posse of minders and people, and he comes upstairs and he sits at the table, and um, and suddenly there's all these people, you know, going over to the table, taking pictures with their little happy snap cameras and things, and I thought, well, I better get a piece of this action, so I get up with my Nikon's, go over and go to the. And the bodyguard says, no, 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 go and sit down. Anyway. This went on for about five or six times that I would get up and go over it and photograph him. At, in the end, the, his mind just said, do me a favor, just get on with it, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> do it. it tastes... And I've got this great picture of Fidel Castro sitting at the table looking very kind of stone and not, not very, um, didn't have a great sense of humor. But and he puts, puts a tablecloth over, you know, the, the, the napkin over his head so i so i can't see his face now right and i thought that made a great picture right we haven't never used that picture actually you've never used it no we haven't used it we will do we've got so much in the yeah we got so much you know backstage so to speak of pictures that we've never used um but one day that will be the one of the pictures in the book you know first time scene or whatever something like that anyway the dinner finishes and he gets up from the table and i'm still photographing him and he's wearing his green fatigues um, and 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 back in the late 60s E. Saint made these khaki suits for men you know safari kind of jacket thing right and trousers and whatever so me being cheeky as i am i went up to him and went and touched him. i said oh he sent her and he's looking at me going "Whoa!" Oh, <laughs> and i thought i thought i thought, I thought you better back up because otherwise you might not be getting on the plane tomorrow <laughs> yeah. night. I went, okay, never mind. Anyway, because I thought it was an E. Saint suit, but it wasn't. It was, you know, whatever it was. But it was, looked very a similar. revolutionary yeah, suit. Yeah, revolutionary suit and I'm yeah. touching it going, mm, E. Saint Laurent. Anyway, I thought, but then all these young pretty girls all surrounded him and cut, started cuddling and everything. Now, I've never seen pictures of Fidel Castro being cuddled by women. In all the pictures I've ever seen of him, he looks always very serious and very, you know, government minded, so to speak, you know, political, all very political pictures. And you never seen him with young women. And I thought it was he great. He was
0: notorious, apparently. He had like one, a different one every night.
1: Oh, did he? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I, when I was there, I went to, um, much later than you, I went when well, the first time you could get a flight from America to Havana to Cuba. Yeah. After, you know since 1957 or something right and uh i went with simone de puri oh, yeah. and um and uh, sir david tang uh on, on a, actually it was a sort of a cigar type yeah. visit but there was a we went to visit some artists with simone and there was one that had uh, 365 plates and each one had an image of a girl and a name really? and this was to represent apparently the year Fidel Castro oh really because of that Oh, yeah boy. he was a naughty boy yeah, yeah but he yeah. wasn't overthrowing government right that was great it was a good start <laughs> 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 unexpected <laughs> we'll never know when we met because that would be ridiculous. I can't remember no but but I do remember when I when I opened my store in uh, in LA and um, part of the store was the top floor was called the No Regrets Lounge. Yeah. And it was always about work by, by artists or, you know, of all different sorts, photographers, artists, chefs, that I could bring to my space and um, things that I enjoy rather than things I make. And, and I think the second show, the, we had the opening show, which was a mixed art show, and the first yeah solo show we had was with you yeah and uh, the reason was was elizabeth taylor yeah because she she was this you're going to tell your story and then for me (laughs) when i was uh in my 20s yeah she was the first person the first famous person who bought peace jewelry for me and um
1: well i owe a lot of my career to elizabeth taylor yeah um on many on, on many different levels first of all Crescent, her Crescent, uh, Richard Burton's 50th birthday party at the Dorchester, right? I've only been a photographer, or trying to be a photographer, um, about a year. And it was- Where October, was this? It was a cold, windy, horrible November night, 1974. <laughs> I'm still working a nine to five job in the bookshop, which is just down the street on Regent Street. And I was still doing my nine to five number and the phone goes at five o'clock in the store m- about maybe twice a week from the evening standard picture desk when they're doing their night diaries giving me instructions on what to do and they said would i go to the dorchester you're not going to see anything you're not going to get take any pictures but liz taylor is throwing a big birthday party for richard burton do us a favor we we'll give you 30 quid go down there have a look and um you know let us know what, what you know what you're seeing for some odd reason, I had a suit on that day. Very, very rare that I wore a suit that period of my life, right? But I had this nice corduroy suit and I thought I'll wear it. I think it was dark green. And I went there and I'm standing in the lobby with these four or five other photographers, which in those days, no freelancers, all, they were all star photographers. Mm-hmm. And they're all standing there and Marjorie Lee, Marjorie Lee who was the press officer for the Dorchester came out and shooed everybody away and said, you're not gonna see anything, gentlemen, would you mind all leaving? Well, she had this young assistant with her and she wandered off through some glass doors. And me being, again, in my cheeky self, I followed her. So I went through these glass doors and I followed her through a couple of empty ballrooms. And there was a couple of Did tann- she
0: know you were following her?
1: No, she didn't know I was following her. She Across was an quite, empty ballroom? But, yeah. Wow. No, they didn't, she didn't know. She didn't even turn around. Thank <laughs> God she didn't. And, and, and I'm in this one particular area and there was these two t- Italian waiters sitting to my right. And I had my camera down here. My hair was down here, right? Beard down here. I looked like Jerry Garcia, right? From The Grateful Dead. And... Um, and this waiter said to me, "Are you in the band?" I said, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in the band." What do you play? Well, would you mind going um, through, go through that door, and that's where the party is. So I went through the door. It was the room was empty, but it was all made up, saying "Happy Birthday, Richard" on the on the mirror. Uh, I thought it didn't refer to me because it said "50 years old," and <laughs> I was only 24, so 25 at the time. And um, and uh, <laughs> and um, the only person in the room was this guy called Peter, standing by his two decks and um, do, doing the DJing, right? Now there's no one else in the room, so I went up to him, put my camera on the floor next to him and I said to him, don't split on me, um, i gate gatecrash, I'm from the evening standards." He said, no, that's all right, this is, well, this is how it works. You put the record on here and put the needle over and, and here's all the records, I'm going off to have a drink, so enjoy yourself. So now I'm the assistant DJ. <laughs> Half an hour later, 60 people come in, sit down, and they're having dinner, right? Liz Taylor, I can see on the top table with Richard Burton, there's a few people around them, but mainly they're all made up, the 60 people are all made up mainly of Richard Burton's family, all come up from South Wales. They like a drink. They like a drink. And after the dinner, I'm still there, Peter's come back, he's a bit pissed now, but he's he's playing all this boring stuff, right? You know, which obviously they requested. You know, Sammy Davis, Frank, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, music, and always got all these ballads. You know, suddenly the dinner's finished and the the waiters are bringing in this big trolley, which has got this big 50th, 50 candles on. And Liz Taylor gets up from the table with Richard Burton. They come to the center of the floor. Mm-hmm. They're kissing each other passionately. And, and then they're blowing out the candles. And I'm going to do like this um, on my camera. And um, uh, it's a, it, and it wasn't even my camera. It's someone else's camera. But I'm taking like maybe 10, 15 frames because it's on black and white film. And, and knowing I got it, and they gone and sat down. And I've gone and... St- gone back and sat with Peter. Now I'm going crazy because I know I've got something good, right? And she gets up then and goes onto to the dance floor, the dancing is starting, and she's dancing with some chap and I go up, now feeling really confident, I go up to the dance floor and I go bang. And she breaks off dancing and she comes over to me and her nose touches my nose. <laughs> and in no uncertain terms, did she tell me what to go and do, right? And I didn't say a word. I just turned and walked, right? Went back and got the film processed. Um, those pictures went global, all around the world. On the proceeds of those pictures, I bought my first house. What? Yeah.
0: So they did the 30 quid, you suddenly from now- 30,
1: even... From 30 quid, I think um, we made about 200,000 um, on, pounds on Liz Taylor and Richard Burton birthday right. pictures worldwide on syndication and a funny story is I remember going I remember finding this place that I wanted to put a deposit on uh, this house in North Kensington and I went to the syndication department of the Daily Express which was the same as the Daily Evening Standard back in those days and I went up to the the woman on syndication I said can I have an advance on the proceeds of my syndication she said how much do you want I said well um, I better only take 500 pounds she said darling why don't you take £5,000 and then you really get the house that you want to buy. I went, well, okay. She said, well, I said, will that be okay. She said, darling, with the money you're going to be making those pictures, you could even have £50,000, you know, because they sold them for such an advanced, you know, it was a world exclusive. There was no other photographer in there. And these were world exclusive pictures that the whole world wanted because Richard Burton and Liz Taylor just got remarried again. They came back from Africa and they were staying at the Dorchester. The whole world wanted pictures. And I got the, the world exclusive. The conclusion of that was that she then calls up about three weeks later. I get a phone call from the Dorchester from this woman called Marjorie Lee, who, Lee, who's head of marketing and publishing. The woman you followed
0: through. The yeah. Ballroom.
1: Well, no, I sh- it was her assistant. <laughs> I followed, okay. and um and. And she and she was giving me a real telling off on the phone, right? I mean, oh, I, oh God, what she was saying to me was unreal. But I knew, but I knew what the bottom line was going to be, right? And which of course it was. Mister um, Young, after upsetting everybody and causing such mayhem and blah 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 blah, can we have a set of pictures, <laughs> please? I said, no problem whatsoever. And the next day I went out and got 10 pictures made up, nice big 20 by 16, whatever, um, black and white prints, put them in a box, put some ribbon on it, took it over to Dorchester and gave it to them because they were shipping shipping the box over to Los Angeles. About 18 months later was the next time I was going to see Liz Taylor. And she came out of um, this house in Chelsea um, and she was being carried by her bodyguard because she had strained her ankle on stage at the Victoria Palace for this little play that she was doing called Little Foxes. And, um, and, get into, and she comes out and she walks past me. I'm the only photographer outside this place on Cheney Gardens. And I'm going fact snapping her. And she says to me, Mr. Young, you are very, very cheeky, but thank you very much for sending me the pictures. She said, where are you going? I said, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going home. Do you want to come with us? Well, where are you going? <laughs> We're going to the Chelsea Flower Show. So she gets into the front seat, And the bodyguard puts the wheelchair in the back, in the boot, and I'm on the back seat. So we go off to the Chelsea Flower Show, and when we get there, he puts her in the wheelchair, and she's just sitting there, right, in the wheelchair, and he's gotta go and park the car. And she looks at me and she said, Well, don't just sit there, darling, (laughs) push me in. So now I'm wheeling Elizabeth Taylor into the Chelsea Flower Show. I mean, insane. And then I would see her many years after that at parties and things, she would always invite me. But the best moment came in year 2000 at the wow. Dorchester Hotel. Back to the Dorchester. Yeah, back to the Dorchester. I, t- I took her out into the, what's it called, um, the terrace and photographed her uh, on her own and with her family after she becomes a dame by the queen. And this time and I was- In all, the
0: front door this, yeah, this time.
1: This right in the front door and out yeah. the front door. <laughs>
0: Story, I think, really summarises, uh, you know, you and your your special relationship that you've got with so many big, famous, all the famous people. They have your trust, they so, you know, don't they? They trust you. Because yeah. I, I remember you telling me, you know, it's like you start that way, you know, you're a scoundrel, and the next thing is you're you're invited to join.
1: Yeah. And you turn it on its head, and it's it's quite funny how how that can happen, and I enjoy doing that because. You know, there have been many famous people back in, especially in the early days, who rather not see me at their event, you know, but because you turn it around, you know, and show them there is a little bit of humanity there and a bit of humour and everything else, which is very, very important. Of course. Is having a sense of humour and being polite and nice, you know, and once you show that side of it, it changes the whole aspects of the whole job. And well, the
0: threat's not there anymore, is it? That, no, there's that, no that threat thing there. of. of how am I gonna look tomorrow in the paper? Right. You know, because we, I think probably all celebrity have had that picture that's been put in there. Yeah. they for whatever it is, sure. they're compromised. They're either a bit plastered, they're, they're with the wrong person. <laughs> Before the photography, Music was your real passion, wasn't it? Yeah, it still is. You were, yeah. Music is my
1: big passion. I should have been in the music business. Uh, Eddie Kramer, who was um, Jimi Hendrix, producer, was a customer of mine when I was still in the menswear business, you know, in Old Compton Street, working in this lovely little boutique called um, Sportique, which was owned by this lovely man called John Michael Ingram. And I worked there for about six years in various branches, but the best one was in Sportique in Old Compton Street. And I remember I'd just been expelled from school, age 14. Um,
0: Can you tell us what
1: for? What?
0: Why were you expelled?
1: Well, because me and my mate Mark. A famous Mark. Yeah, the famous Mark. Yeah. We're talking about Mark Feld. Mark Feld then changed his name to Mark Boland (laughs) T-Rex. Mark and I kept on playing truant every Friday, because Mark used to say, we can't go and play games because the school was in Stoke Linton and the games field was down in Dagnum. So it was like an hour and a half coach ride there, you know, there and then another hour and a half back down in Dagnam. And, you know, he said, I can't go and play football with these haddocks, <laughs> all
0: <it>. right? <laughs> <laughs> he called people a haddock?
1: Yeah, he called, he called that. all the kids haddocks, right? And um, so Mark and I, every Friday afternoon, we used to get on the 73 bus from Stoke Newton because his mum and my dad both had stalls in Berwick Street Market. His mum was selling fruit and veg and my dad was selling ladies' stockings. Now my dad's stall was London Palladium. He felt like he was on stage at the London Palladium every every Friday lunchtime because all the girls have come out the offices with their wage packets and wanted to buy a nice pair of stockings to show off to their boyfriends on Friday night or Saturday night, right? So he standing in front of his store doing his big, big spiel, right? Uh, saying, look, darling, look, look, look at those lovely scenes. Wait till your hot boyfriend gets those off you. You know what I mean? So, you know, he, he was, he was amazing. He was so funny and a great sense of humor. And I used to stand behind his store to just make sure no one was nicking his, you know, my dad's stockings, you know what I mean? And, uh, and he used to turn to me, don't worry, darling, it's all going to be yours one day. I said, no, going to away. <laughs> Is that what my Baron's mum said to him? Well, maybe. <laughs> they probably did all right,
0: didn't they? They probably yeah, made We're talking there. about
1: 61, yeah, 62, was doing very, very well. But, um, you know, but you know, we lived in a, a two up, two down kind of flat in Stoke Newington, right? Um, which was very not to my liking. Did you have a car? No. No, okay. No. And, um, you know, it was, you know, even then I knew there was a much better life out there, <laughs> even at the age of 14, 15. You know what I mean, I just knew it. And um, when I got expelled, my mum got me a job working for this lovely man called John Michael Ingram. I worked in this boutique called Sportique in Old Compton Street. And she lied to him saying I was 15 and a half when I was only 14. My duties in the store were not to serve, serve people, help people, but don't take the money, if you know what I mean, you know, but. But just be. Well, You've been
0: expelled. You're already a bad character. Yeah, i have already got a we'll bad character. But, the but they didn't.
1: But they didn't know that, right? But <laughs> they thought I just left. Um, but anyway, Bobby Harris, who was the manager of um, Sporty, lovely little gay guy from the East End. I loved him dearly because he taught me everything about the street, about life in Soho. He said, "Look, there's a theatre. Marlene Dietrich is playing there. Round down the road is a Royal Opera House." art galleries of down there, you know, he taught me taught, showed show me everything, you know, and it was a real eye opener of culture that school would never going to teach yeah. you at that stage of your life. Upstairs, the boutique was a tailor called Dougie Millins, and that's he made all the Beatles suits and anybody else that came out of Liverpool at that time. So one day I've only been working in Sportique, maybe three or four weeks and I'm tidying up the shirts and making sure everything's nice and tidy up on the... And I got these two guys behind me going, oh, we want a black roll neck sweater. And I turn around and it's George Harrison and John Lennon, right? Because they're holding their Beetle suits up, right? Which I've got the velvet collars on, the round collars, right? That they've just picked up and Dougie in right? And I I showed them the black botany wool polo necks, right? You know, size medium. Um, You know, They tried them on and they fit nicely and everything. Bobby, can you come take some money? <laughs> it's only the Beatles, love. <laughs> so
0: were they already mega?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were really, yeah. great, you know, 63, 64. Yeah. And then another week, you know, various people come in. And then these five guys came in. One of them's got very skinny, very big bushy hair, and it was Bob Dylan. And he came in with, you know, with the guys from the band. yeah. And uh, I saw one of the, one of the guys, um, a, a orange and white Matalo t-shirt, right? And about a year later, um, it showed up on the cover of, Ro- of Highway 61 Revisited. The picture was taken at the Savoy Hotel um, when they were doing their British tour, and um, and he's wearing the orange and white t-shirt I sold him.
0: Excellent. So, he, I mean, he became one of your musical heroes. Yeah, play, but, yeah, yeah. I've
1: never really met him to sit down and talk to, and if I did, I don't want to talk to him about the music and everything. Everybody knows about his music.
0: Well, look, keeping on the musical theme, I remember you telling me about when you met Stevie Wonder. When you went to New yeah. York,
1: how old were you, a teenager? Uh, I was, when I went to New York, I was 21.
0: Right, and you went and worked in I, a famous I, I, studio. Well,
1: I was working in the studio, in Electric Lady Studios, and it was a Sunday morning, and I got a phone call in the apartment where I was living, which was Jimi Hendrix's apartment, a duplex on West 13th Street. And I was sharing it with this, the girl secretary, Joyce, her name was, from the studio and um, her boyfriend was a, a New York City police detective. And they were great fun, I enjoyed living with them. The phone goes and Joyce says to me, oh, uh, Stevie Wonder's people, they want you to go to the studio and open up and um, get get the master tapes out of um, Talking Book, which he was recording. They want to listen to some playbacks. So I went over to the studio, which wasn't far from where I was living. And that was about 11 o'clock in the morning that I opened the studio up and they came along. And then about two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, one of the, someone came up to me from the studio and they said, look, um, we've got a problem. We need someone to take Stevie down to um, DC to put him on stage for the opening night of the Rolling Stones 72 tour. They said, would you take him down? There's a car outside, here's the tickets, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So we went, we get into the limo, we go out to LaGuardia airport, we're walking through the airport, we get on the plane, and we get to DC and we get off the plane and we're walking through um, the arrival lounge and these two black dudes come up to us and say to Stevie, hi man, how you doing? And I thought, oh my God, Smokey Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, and, and, he, and Stevie introduces me, hey, this is, this is Richard. I went, oh, hi, hi. You know, you know I thought, Smokey Robinson, man, wow. Um, so we get into limo, we go to the stadium. I think it was JRFK Stadium or something in DC and uh, and we're backstage we're in the dressing room and everything and um, and I'm sitting there and people flying around all over the place and then suddenly the road manager uh, comes up to me and says look can you put Stevie on stage he's got to go on stage now so Stevie's on my arm right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're walking down this long passageway right and to the stage and we go up the steps I put him down by his keyboards and everything and I said, you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. And then he looks up at me, right? And he says to me, he said, you will come back and get me, won't you? <laughs> I said, I'll be there, Stevie, don't worry. <laughs> you know, like, like I'm going to leave you there, you know <laughs> what I mean? So I, sat, I stood by the side of the stage and uh, listened to the whole set and everything. Then I went back and got him and because by that time, he's standing up kind of doing his encore and everything. And I said, come on, let's go. He said, oh, thank you, So he's on my arm. And, and I'm leading him off the stage, down the steps, back to the dressing room. And, and then he turned to me and said, look, um, um, I want to go back to New York. I said, okay, cool. And I think it was all, it was a, a late flight we got on. And we got, we got to New York City and there was a car waiting for us at, this, at the airport. And I dropped him off at one, 1 Fifth Avenue, the hotel, there was a hotel there. I think it's still there. And then I walked back to 13th One Fifth Street. Avenue? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right yeah. by 8th Street it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I walked back to the, my, and I'm going like this. I'm going, oh my God, did that really happen? Richard's pinching himself. Yeah, right. Richard's pinching himself <laughs> to, to illustrate yeah. that. I was trying to figure out, yeah. did that really happen on that yeah. day? yeah. It was quite incredible. That's great, I love that story.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, this could go on for, this could be as long as Fidel Castro's speeches. Yes. He's talked about all of those things, but we can't not mention Freddie Mercury. Right. Not, not just because you photographed him, you were his photographer for like 11 years or something like that. 11 years,
1: yeah. I first met Freddie New Year's Eve 1978 at Monkbridge nightclub in um, German Street. And, and from that night onwards, I became his photographer for about yeah, 11 years up to the time that he passed away. We went all over Europe together, but we did go to South America to Rio for the Rio Rock Festival. And, and that
0: was a crowd of like a million people. Well, or something. it was
1: like a lot of people there. And, um, and I remember Freddie always saying to me, well, whatever you do, don't photograph me from the front of stage. Always be on the stage. Right? Because what he wanted to do was where, wherever he was positioned, he just wanted me to do wide shots oh, of yeah. him and then you can see 100,000, 200,000 people. And there was many at many of the concerts that we did. Um, uh, I always instructed the lighting guys to put the lights up so I can actually see the crowds. Yeah. And, and he loved that. Well,
0: they're great pictures. Yeah, oh, he loved seen. that. So that sort of skinny, white jeans, yes. wife beater vest. yes. Or, or he'd have something really extravagant. But it was very to Adidas, him, you know,
1: the Adidas shoes yeah. and, and the white trousers yeah. with, the, with the stripes going down the side and everything, which people are still wearing today, Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, um, but Freddie was so generous and so beautiful, and, and, and I miss him terribly. What was nice was whenever I traveled with, never let me sit in my hotel room on my own. It was, I always got a call saying, we're all going for dinner, come on. They treated me like one of the band.
0: Yeah, we should be like that.
1: Yeah, it should be like yeah. that. But it doesn't happen with all bands on no, the roof, No, so.
0: no well, it, I don't think it would happen with many photographers, but yeah. you, you've heard that. But I, I think now, you know, with your obviously with that back catalogue and, and probably since Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, yeah. there's been all this renewed interest in him again. Yeah, there? there's
1: a lot of interest in it. This, this whole thing about Freddie is quite incredible. The amount of love and emotions that people have for him. It's quite... You know, when we did an exhibition two years ago to celebrate his 70th, I mean, people from all over the world came into the gallery and, and out, the outpouring of their emotions, they were even crying, you know, when they see all the photographs. I mean, because yeah. they have never seen this stuff before, you know, and it's quite incredible.
0: I was a massive fan from like Seven Seas of Rye and those, yeah. you know, and then Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And then I suppose for me, and, and then it, you just couldn't avoid the impacts yeah. of alive live age. And I was living in America at the time and, uh, and listening to it, you, yeah. didn't, you didn't really, you, it was hard to visualize yes. what happened when Queen went yeah. on stage until yeah. later on, you saw sort of footage and realized that. Yeah that was the point that turned that yeah. Live Aid into something became sort yeah. of the spectacle that it I mean, was.
1: That, that was a very special day being at Live Aid and the camaraderie and everything we you know. And there wasn't that many photographers allowed backstage. I mean, Bailey had a little studio, had his studio there and he's at the barbecue kind of tossing the hamburgers. You know, this is, that's Elton John. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it was just fantastic. It was just lovely.
0: So, like, talking about those nightclubs, you reeled off a few, and uh, on your way in just now, you were saying you were tired because you went to the uh, I tramp. You- party last night.
1: Yeah, 50th anniversary party of anniversary.
0: Well, you weren't there on the first night, were
1: you? No, no, no. I didn't even know what a nightclub was uh, 50 years ago. Uh, What was that, 1969, I think it was, yeah. Back in the day when I first became a photographer, it was so much easier because there was not, not much security around, there wasn't much publicists around, no red ropes, no special access, no this, that. It was very organic and very real. Yeah. You know? Not now, it's not real anymore. It's kind of, everything's posed up and, and it's not organic anymore, which is sad because the pictures looked sad.
0: Well, like your book, Nightclubbing, uh, I mean, all that you've just said, it, it says all that. It, because I think you went, when you got in that door, you were with your tribe. Yeah. And your tribe looked out for each other, didn't they? I mean, it wasn't like the, the, the next table trying to photograph the people yeah. on this, forget it, it was like you're in, it doesn't matter if it's Tramp or the embassy or sure. Browns or wherever it was, you're kind of in the door, you're yeah. part of the tribe, and, and there's got to be a bit of trust goes on there.
1: Well, I must be honest with you. Last night was great at Tramps because I walked down those stairs and all the, all the old waiters are down there. No. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what they're, they're yeah, part of the they're, celebration. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, they all, <laughs> and everyone showed so much compassion and love. Even when Rod Stewart came in, You know, he came over to me and gave me a kiss on each cheek, you know. I thought that was really, really nice, you know. And Joan Collins was sitting next to me. I've been working with Joan Collins, what, 40 years now. And (laughs) Susan always does. Susan, uh, uh, for those
0: who don't know, is uh, Richard's amazing wife, who was a bunny girl. Yes. Not everybody knows that. No, 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 not not, not everybody (laughs) knows
1: that. It's funny because some guy came up to me at Tramps last night and he said to me, um, I met your wife long before you met her, and I think it was down here. And she used to hang out with some very strange girls. She was working at the Playboy Club, and I said, "Yeah, she can still get into her Playboy suit." I know. She. When did she wear it? At uh, Christmas Day. Christmas Day. She, she put on. She puts on her bunny suit for me on Christmas Day. Oh my! I mean, God. I mean, it's quite quite a celebration. I've <laughs> danced
0: with her in that suit.
1: Have you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I
0: know. We were doing the bump.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And a tail stayed on.
1: Uh a tail yeah. stayed on. Thank God for Thank that. You know.
0: So let's talk about another passion of yours. Motorbikes. Oh yeah.
1: The American Road. Yeah, the American Road, road. trips. You've been on yeah. one of my road trips. I went on your road trips. I remember yeah. I remember you, you I got thrown out of the car in Montreal. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> Outside a convention centre for tattoos. Did you come in there with me? No, I was
0: fuming at you. I didn't kick you out. I didn't want you to go. I don't know if you remember, but we were we entered Montreal at night and we got caught in traffic. Yeah, yeah and my, and the car broke down my on the freeway. Thunderbird decided to to just dispose of all its bodily fluid.
1: <laughs> yes, and we, and we pushed the car off the yeah, road. but we onto a side it. road. We
0: filled up. When it all cooled down, we we had a six pack in the back. Yeah. American beer, yeah, and and we topped up the radiator (laughs) with the beer. Beer, that car could have been done for drunken driving. Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) But I remember (laughs) we went, you and I went to New York before. I mean that that weekend.
0: I'm pointing
1: to a picture that you took
0: the night in New York before of Tracy Emin. Yeah. John
1: Waters, oh, yeah.
0: Dylan Jones and myself, right. that was before we hit the road. Oh yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that night. And I remember sitting next to John Waters, it was yeah. fantastic because he's yeah. like a hero, another I, hero. I met
1: John Waters in 1971 when I went to the premiere of his film called uh, Pink Flamingos, Pink Flamingos. In, 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 in New York City. And um, um, with the wonderful Divine. And I remember going to the the premiere and everything. It was on 8th Avenue or somewhere, some little cinema. And there was a party afterwards on West 22nd or 23rd Street. And Andy Warhol was there. It was my first time I ever met Andy Warhol. And it was 1971. And I was living in New York at the time.
0: Wow. The Warhol scene. But you know, it's funny because all those guys like Bowie and yeah, they all hung out, didn't they? Yeah, the Ramones, yeah. obviously Lou Reed, he was part yeah. of the factory. The but it party. was
1: later, that when I met War, when, when I was working for Ritz magazine, which I started working with Bailey on Ritz magazine from 76 to 83, it was about 1978, 79, that uh, Bailey sent me to New York to spend a week at Interview magazine. And um, so I, I was hanging out that whole week with Warhol photographing them every single day in in the factory, right? And um, at night, we used to go to Max's Kansas City, and and there was this room at the back, the back room, and that's when I I met the Ramones and all these kind of people.
0: You are the the gift that keeps giving, but you've given a lot to gold digging. Right. And uh, I want to thank you, Richard. My pleasure. Thank 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 you.